0: The Lloyd's List Shipping Podcast from Lloyd's List Intelligence, delivering you
1: expert analysis on the stories shaping shipping.
2: As anybody looking to renew a fixed rate mortgage right now will tell you, these are tough times for those seeking to borrow money. The decade or more in which the outlook for interest rates were lower for longer, as central banks sought to encourage economic activity in the wake of the global financial crisis, well, that's just a memory. The new enemy is inflation, which has jumped dramatically in the wake of Russia's invasion of Ukraine last year. Policy rates in most major economies have risen sharply. And while the forward yield curve suggests that they're expected to moderate in the next year or two, we are living through interesting times. For ship owners looking to bankroll expansion, the market seems bifurcated. Those that raked it in during the post-pandemic box ship boom, or perhaps are benefiting from current tanker rates, or can point to charter backing, well, they may be finding it easier than some. But that isn't most ship owners. Smaller operators, and lest we not forget, that is the majority of the shipping industry, they are having to pay high single-digit and even low double-digit percentage point interest rates, which, by historic standards, represents expensive money. Increasingly, they are turning to Asian leasing companies because European bankers, well, they no longer have their backs in the same way that was common until the late 2000s. So for this edition of the Loisless podcast, which is sponsored by our friends at Wirana, we are lifting the lid on what is happening in ship finance. We convened a special panel discussion for this one, and our guests were industry veteran Dagfin Lund, a high-profile figure who has built his career at DVB, Decknorsk Bank, and Intertanko. He now runs the online ship finance platform eShipFinance.com. Andreas Povson, a Breakwater Capital alumni who now heads the maritime team at alternative asset manager Hayfin. And star lawyer Kavita Shah, partner at the Asset Finance Group at Watson, Farley & Williams. She puts together the contracts that makes the deals happen. Moderating the panel is List's very own insurance and finance editor, Mr David Osler, who opened the discussion this week by asking our experts to give us their big picture
3: take on what's happening in ship finance. The fleet in the last 15 years have increased with 40% and the, the bank lending has gone down with 40%. So it's it's a dramatic gap happening in the market. If you look at the difference between what is needed normally at leverage and what is offered at the moment from the banking side. So I made a small list of things which seem to be filling up. Part of that is, uh, of course, that they have profitability again. So they um, don't need that much loans. And we see also that a lot of export credits and guarantees are used uh, for new buildings. And uh, we have not the least seen many private equity firms coming in uh, with a lot of capacity, uh, both on the equity but also on the lending side. And in general, with the good uh, markets, uh, the shipping companies are leveraging down, in order also to be able to pay dividends. So that's how the gap is being filled at the moment, David, and uh, this was my opening.
4: Yeah, I'm I'm going to come to some of those themes uh, later in the questions. But um, Kavita, you're a lawyer. Um, You help write up the contracts that govern many of these deals, I guess, so you've got inside knowledge. What are you seeing?
1: Well, I mean, I think the banks are there, but the problem is that they're all chasing the same deal. So there's a lot of competition amongst the banks, um, all trying to lend to the sort of same tier of borrower, let's say. And I think, as Dagman says, there are sort of um, opportunities for alternative lenders in the rest of the market. Um, but I think also, let's not forget that banks are facing an ever-changing regulatory framework So they've got the sort of general regulation coming in year on year. And if you overlay on top of that, the sort of ESG challenges, the green policy of the ECB, it makes it a really challenging market for European banks, I would say.
4: Okay, and talking of alternative lenders, Andreas, uh, you probably would see yourself in that category. I mean, what do you what do you think? yeah I think it's right
0: i mean we we obviously both uh play a role on the alternative lending side but also in the in the equity and ownership side but but we can get back to that i think in a way it's almost been surprising because Daring's numbers are obviously correct in regards to the growth in fleet and the uh, in at least on the on the headline numbers reduction in 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 amount of lending from traditional banks uh, but but interestingly enough, I do feel that we've seen more uh, availability nonetheless. And, and as Kavita said, certainly the bigger players, the solid players with the modern tonnage are seemingly not finding it difficult to get attractive um, loans from from the big players. And and if you include Chinese leasing and Japanese finance, financing and so forth, the market seems reasonably supported. And, and I think it's a little bit like in many other industries. It's kind of like either you have it and, and you can get it at competitive pricing or you don't.
4: Yeah, you're making a point about um, the division there between between ship owners of different standings. I mean, um, like any other business, I guess, the blue chip companies can fund themselves cheaply. But on the other hand, I'm hearing that interest rates on some of the riskier deals for smaller ship owners are well into double digits, which is what we used to call junk bond territory. So what kind of margins are available by type of owner from the big guys down to the uh, two ship companies?
0: Yeah, well, I think it's not just a question of, of the balance sheet and the owners. It's also the question of what type of tonnage and obviously whether you have charter commitments and so forth. And I think generally what is really interesting and hopefully a positive for shipping going forward is that it's becoming more industrialized. Obviously, there is a bit of a, a nostalgia towards the the charm of the smaller owners with with smaller setups and so forth. But I think because of compliance, because of ESG, because of re- regulations, it will be more and more difficult for the smaller owners to to really uh, fill a, a, a gap in the market. And and therefore, both because the end users, the charters, are looking for the bigger, more solid counterparties. And because the banks as well are looking for that, it will be harder and harder. So as I say again, it's not just a question of margin. It's a question of whether people actually can can get those loans at all. And when you're in an interest rate environment that obviously has changed fundamentally, where we went from virtually borrowing money at nothing to base rates of depending on three months, so for LIB or whatever, of, of, of five plus percent, well, it's suddenly very costly to borrow. So so almost whatever margin you're paying, the base rates obviously changes the calculations a lot. And, and that is also where even if you can get the money, there will be people who are not interested. So certainly right now, from a leverage perspective, many of the bigger players will also say, well, why should I? Even if I get a margin from the top tier names of one and a half percent to two percent it may still not make sense to take very high leverage. So that's obviously taken some of the need out of the market that some owners just don't want that high leverage.
1: Okay. Kavita? I, 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 yeah, I'd probably just add to that, that there aren't so many new buildings on order either. So either that's a sign of not the right time to invest or also technology pays into it. You know, as we are in this ESG journey, um, people are sort of not ready to commit to, one answer or one solution at this point in time. And so I think um, that also feeds into it. And, and were there to be more new building orders, then that would probably increase the, the sort of appetite for borrowing from a borrower's perspective.
3: I would like to disagree a bit with Andreas here on the, um, on the funding issue, because it's very clear that the banks go for corporate credits and uh, <clears throat> balance sheet lending, uh, we see that on all the bank leagues for the first half year, this year again. <clears throat> but we in our game, uh, you know, we are running this e finance uh, platform on the Internet. And um, you can easily, in my mind today, finance uh, single-ship um, if, if the name is reason, reasonable, and especially if they have employment but we see a lot of uh, two-ships to 10-ship companies. Um, and we have even seen special offshore projects, which was before the offshore boom started, which were financed by private equity. And uh, unfortunately, the margin or the rent interest rate was high, it was over 15%, but still, for a, a one-year deal, uh, the owner uh, made uh, $10 million in spite of the interest rate. So it depends on the project. And um, the, the private equity is very flexible in, in terms of uh, what they are willing to finance. So in our view, everything we have seen basically of decent projects which makes sense uh, from a market point of view and um, from a segment point of view, they have been financed.
0: I think, Finn, again, that's that's not incorrect when you're talking about the wider universe of lenders. I think from my perspective, when you're talking about the banks, that's where there's a very, uh, very strict focus on more modern assets on, as you said, the corporate players and so forth. The the private equity funded or, or let's say the alternative lenders... Of course, there, there are some people out there. And I think as David mentioned as well, obviously the, 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 the rates there or the margins are, are are much higher. And again, from some of those providers, you can see higher leverage. It obviously provides a lot more risk into the project because is it really sustainable to 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 be in projects with very, very high leverage and, and high interest rates? I, I have to say from our own perspective, we really feel that what is critical for the ship owners, it is that they feel that the lenders they're working with are partners. They need to know that they are there, not just when it's good times, but also when you potentially have downturns or you have big events like COVID and so forth. So you can sit down around the table and find a solution that means that the ships aren't just going to be, uh, be taken over or, or, or that the owners no longer have, have use of the vessels. But I think on the on the lending side itself, uh, the alternative providers are still there. I would say again, from our perspective, we probably see ourselves more on or closer to the banks, where we would say, okay, we will do very large deals. Our sweet spot is probably more like fifty to two hundred and fifty million dollars. You know, we can do more flexible structures and, and are probably more active in many of the markets when when the banks are a little bit reluctant. And then finally, obviously, on on the pricing side, we are probably closer to, to the range of the banks, especially when you're talking about the current base rates. If you're looking at the alternative lenders and you're looking at the high LTVs, we would probably rather in some of those instances say you're taking such high risk that it makes more sense to be an owner of that asset. And especially if you talk about offshore, where you're very correlated to the commodity that you transport, you're really beholden to to the oil price.
2: Okay, I am going to pause the conversation there for a moment for a message from our sponsors for this edition of the podcast, Wirana.
1: Wirana Shipping
0: Corporation is the oldest and one of the largest cash buyers of -of end-of-life ships and offshore vessels in the world. During 40 successful years, Wirana has earned the trust of ship owners, ship recyclers, and all the stakeholders in the industry for always honouring our commitments irrespective of market factors and for being a responsible stakeholder. Wirana has well understood that continuous adaptation and learning the changing requirements of the industry is the key to success.
2: Thank you Wirana. Your support is very much appreciated. Now back to the podcast.
4: Um, we're currently going through a period of high inflation and, of course, central banks are fighting back by putting up lending rates. Now, that brings me to the pros and cons of taking a fixed interest rate deal and interest rate swaps. I mean, I've heard arguments from some lenders that ship owners like the certainty of knowing what they're going to be paying. Uh so that they can get on with operating their ships, and I've heard others say that it's foolish to lock in to what could be a high interest rate now, when the, I suppose the consensus expectation is for interest rates to drop as inflationary pressures ease. So, what what would be your advice? Um, take lock in or uh, look for a swap?
3: From, from my side and all the projects we are involved in, we just say keep it floating because uh, even if we have 25 or 50 basis points more on the upside, uh, over the lifetime of a loan, you will definitely see a better market uh, or lower base rates. That's what our advice is very clear. I,
0: I think that again, if you look back at what happened on the interest rate side and inflation, obviously, there seemed to be quite a lot of voices out there that that in hindsight were a bit naive in regards to the transitory uh, inflation pressure. And I think what is a little bit different this time around is probably that part of it is driven by what, I, what we believe to be underinvestments in commodities and so forth as well. You're still seeing oil prices quite high. Uh, you will see, especially based on the need for energy transition, renewables, commodities, nickel, zinc, copper, and so forth. There's going to be a lot needed going forward. So I think there is an argument for inflation could stay higher for longer. And that's obviously what you're seeing now on a, on a U.S. interest rate uh, basis. Uh, but I think when it comes to the specific shipping question, it depends on what kind of project you have. If, if you have long-term offtake uh, with long-term contracts, then even in this interest rate environment, maybe it does make sense to make sure that you you are not at risk for for further increases. Uh, but I think in normal circumstances, obviously there is a little bit of logic to saying that the 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 ups and downs of shipping in in a spot trading ship has a bit of a natural hedge uh, from an from an inflation perspective.
4: All
1: right, Kavita. I, I probably just add to that, you know, it, it depends, um, and probably depends on sort of how much cushion you think you have, um, you know, in terms of your operations. But what I would say is that when you do see um, you know, you might find a scenario where other things aren't working well. For example, values and have gone down substantially, and so you're facing covenant breaches in that regard. But if you have fixed your interest rates and you're in the money on a hedge then perhaps the bigger picture looks much better and and there you find sort of uh, a syndicate of banks assuming they they wear both hats a lender hat and a hedge bank um hat maybe maybe everything taken into consideration you know it buys you a bit more time and you can kick the can down the road for a bit longer
4: Right. On the other side of the coin, of course, um, a lot of owners have made a lot of money in the last period and understandably used it to pay down debt. Now, it's probably going to be a long time before the good times start rolling like that again, but how is this affecting willingness to lend?
3: Well, David, I think think, uh, you are wrong on the issue of... um... That the profit will not float again, or profit coming again in shipping. What I see is that um, at the moment you have a tremendous upside on the product tankers still, and uh, on the crude tankers there is still a very nice upside. And as you as you also know, the spot the, the um, bulk market is pretty low at the moment. And um, within two years, for instance, there seem to be a nice upside again. What what. What is characterizing the market is a lot at the moment, of course, the, the huge effect in the container market, the bigger container ships had this mm. super profits and it more or less crashed. But even if you look at the um, size of te- container ship under 5,500 TEU, it's still a very decent market. So um, <laughs> I, I don't see that profit will not exist in shipping. There will be a lot of it still.
1: I, I mean, from my perspective, what I'm seeing is that a number of lenders, banks in particular, their their sort of portfolios have shrunk as a result of cash-rich owners having prepaid their loans early, and that has meant that those banks are not wanting to sort of um, they they have a lot of capacity, and so actually alter, rather than sort of refraining from lending, they're really looking for opportunities to lend, but. The challenge is to find the, the sort of deals that fit their risk profile, and and I would say that those lenders who are potentially more flexible and adaptable in their thinking, perhaps will will succeed in in sort of refilling that capacity.
3: Kavita is very right. Kavita is very right on this, and you see this dramatic change in the market at the moment. Um, let's say last year containers were. Over 20% of the lending market now is under 10. And uh, the opposite happened in offshore. It went from, uh, let's say, 2-3% to over 25% in a very short time. So the, the the market also for the banks, as Kavita is saying, is changing. But it's amazing to see how many banks are eager to lend at the moment because of prepayments and so on.
0: I, I, I agree uh, with both. I mean... I don't think that there are that many banks in theory, but the ones that are there are chasing many of the same things. And again, as Tevita pointed out, it means that, for the right structure, for the right company, you get very tight margins. And you were asking before, that can that can be starting with a one. It, it certainly starts with a two uh, for, for many of these different companies. So, so very competitive margins. But obviously, at the end of the day, the base rates are still high. So as I say, even if you borrow at 2%, uh, you, you still margin, you still pay more than 5% on top of that. So it still needs to be, be logic. Um, what I think is quite curious and 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 certainly interesting for shipping is obviously that in the big picture, shipping from an importance is 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 very critical in regard to transportation and ninety percent of world trade and all the things that we talk about. And from a energy transition perspective, should also be well placed, both because it's a better way of transporting cargo than trains and trucks and 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 uh, and planes, um, but when you look at the investor focus and you look at the market share of the biggest uh, shipping companies you know the 50 biggest shipping companies are only like 260 billion or something like that whereas Exxon on its own is 460 and and uh, and, and Tesla would be 800 plus or something like that so in the big picture we obviously still from an investor perspective, not that important. But if you look at what is happening on the lending side, it is interesting that even in a market where earlier this year, if you look at the general corporate borrowings, uh, both from alternative and banks, pricing and and volumes were, were, were quite low and even large uh, private equity firms were struggling to get corporate deals financed. And even in that environment, the, the niche bank lenders were able to, to um, provide loans to, to shipping companies. So I guess that is good news. It means that, you know, even in an environment where some of these banks were struggling with their balance sheets uh, in regards to being stuck with some big loans like Twitter and so forth, uh, you know, they were still able to in some of their other areas to, to lend to the shipping, uh, shipping market.
4: Okay, another claim I've heard is that the shipping boom has made lenders more relaxed about loan-to-value ratios, Um, and in some cases they're being offered as high as 120% of the historic rather than the current value of the ship. Um, Now, nobody gets that kind of deal on a mortgage on a flat anymore, so is this asking for trouble, or is this sustainable?
3: This must be for Covita, huh?
1: Uh, I mean, I, I was going to say I I'm not seeing that in terms of actual you know documentation things have have changed you know as a result of the um, cash rich nature of the industry uh, in recent times. But obviously, in terms of lenders' attitudes to how they treat these sort of covenant breaches, which will of course inevitably come as the markets turn um maybe there will be more tolerance in a situation where other factors look good i.e. there's lots of cash sloshing around in the you know owner's business but obviously i think it it cannot ever be one size fits all because it will depend on the regulatory framework of the lender so for example a us lender maybe from a regulatory point of view having to put up capital for any Breach whatsoever, including an LTV covenant breach, and, and that means a cost to its business, and, and that will inevitably filter down to, to their owners. So so it will depend on their own challenges as as they face these sort of situations. Well, I, 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 again, it's I think the
3: same, generally... it's the same in Europe in general. That uh, the very moment you the loan is graded uh, down from the full performing loan, a uh, capital increase is immediately.
0: I think what you're seeing, David, is generally that, you know, for the for the solid owners, for the for the modern ships and so forth, the, the banks or the bigger alternative lenders are there to provide the loans. I think where you could be worried about what's going to happen going forward, even if you believe that the markets are reasonably solid based on both demand and on supply, is for some of the smaller borrowers with more niche type assets and where some of the small alternative lenders or very small banks will provide quite high LTV and uh, with with high high margins, which could be a, a recipe for, for difficulties going forward. And, you know, you're going to see the EU ETS coming in at beginning of next year. Older ships could have uh, difficulties from that perspective. Again, I would just highlight that it's not that it's only about methanol and ammonia going forward, but if you have... Quality ships today, you can do a lot to retrofit them with um, with, with different type of, of abatement technology, whether that be uh, air lubrication or, or, or wings or, or, or silicon paint and so forth. So there's a lot that can be done to make current vessels high quality, but you've got to make sure you start with a quality ship.
4: Right. Now, um, research by Ted Petropoulos of Petrofin, well-known uh, ship finance figure, of course, found that in 2022, for the first time ever, um, the European share of bank lending fell below 50%. And I guess the only real surprise is that the retreat has taken as long as it has. Um, is there any way back?
3: No. No, for me, it looks like the situation in the shipping market. When you remember, 30 years ago, you had a lot of European shipyards. A lot of ships were built in Europe, and that has changed.
4: That's the difference.
3: Well, I I think the regulation and the cost level and... And you you see there, as uh, Kavita says, and Andreas also point out, uh, the regulation for banks have become extreme. And uh, I remember even 10 years ago in DVB, we calculated the cost of bringing a new customer into the bank. At that time, it was $250,000 per new customer. So it's tough. Uh, That was 10 years ago.
0: I think that it's also natural, based on where the epicenter of trade has moved to, more Asian banks um, and also more alternative lenders. Uh, not just in shipping, but generally, you're seeing a bigger and bigger role to be played by private credit in in all kind of uh, industries. So, yeah, I think that's 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 probably here to stay.
4: Any thoughts, Cavita? Uh,
1: I, I was just going to say perhaps with the sort of importance of energy transition and that angle playing into all of this, I could see a situation where the shipping desk of a bank alone is not the only desk within a bank that looks at maritime deals. And and therefore, there could be um, greater lending into the maritime industry by virtue of the fact that multiple desks within a bank lending into the industry but obviously it would take sort of a lot for, for that figure to sort of drastically um rise the, the way we would need it to for to go back to those historic figures
0: I, I think it's actually a very interesting point sorry david just on on investors in general when it comes to maritime and i think what I started out by saying is it's becoming more industrialized. And I think it's interesting also with the type of money that's coming into shipping, because what you have seen is right now, private equity has probably been busier exiting some of their very old investments that took a very long time, either not to be successful, or if they were, it just took a long time. But what you're seeing is probably longer term capital. And this is where all these things need to come together, whether that is infrastructure capital or it's, setups like ourselves as well, also what we're looking at, not just single assets or whatever, but building diversified portfolios where you're really looking at partnerships with the end users. And you need that. You need the end users to step up to support dual fuel engines and so forth, because it's not cheap and and you need longer term offtakes. But if that happens, just like Kavita said, that will bring different type of capital from the equity side including infrastructure and longer term money as well as on the lending side where it will be much more efficient uh, and and will kind of bring the maritime industry into a to another uh, to, to another, into another scale i believe
3: david can i just go back a bit to your sure. um, refer ref, reference to petrofin uh, that report because i i studied that some time ago and uh... If you look at that, uh, it's it's the German market which went down 90% in 10 years and um, a bit the Scandinavian. But if you look at the French, they have more than doubled in the last uh, 10 years. It's a very varied uh, situation, even within the European uh, reduction, as he points out.
4: Yeah, as you say, it was Germany that that fell over a cliff, basically, after the shipping downturn. And finally, a um, question about capital markets. I mean, we've had one shipping IPO in New York this year, the first for some time, if memory serves. And it was the Taylor Maritime listing in London in 2021. Um, so these deals are happening, but not in any real volume. Is, is that uh, situation going to continue?
3: Well, it looks like that because um, the companies, uh, if you look at the companies uh, today, and we have pointed that earlier in the discussion, that they are very profitable. And um, in in this market, they have uh, definitely focused on, uh, and they will also now for a long period, focus on dividends. And uh, until, and here we comes back to a bit what Andreas was talking about, it's a question of when they now go into new buildings. Because you, you know that within, uh, you, you cannot get a new building now within two and a half years anyway. And uh, that will happen when the new ship types get clear and uh, when people start to think about renewing their fleet. That, that will definitely happen. So then, then we will see. More capital needs coming.
0: I think again, if you talk about where the money is coming into maritime right now, again, infrastructure for long-term projects. You also have some PE investing in more of the technical managers and and the tech companies. If you talk about the listed side, as I mentioned already, it's, it's quite small compared to many other industries. It's hard to see that changing fundamentally, unless that maritime really becomes differentiated on the platforms because they become industrialized, because they can use AI or generative AI on the technology side to, to really be part of energy transition and so forth. You, you probably need something fundamentally different to really be seen as as, as being game changer. Obviously, some of the big players like, like Maersk and so forth on the container side made so much money that they invested that in, in logistics and warehouses and so forth. So they're also becoming slightly different type of companies again. But for the pure shipping side, it can be hard being a, a listed company because when you really do need to invest, that's when the investors maybe are are, are focused on other industries.
3: I would add to that that uh, we we should not forget in this discussion also the big bond markets which have been used uh, extensively.
4: Right. Kavita, what deals are you helping with?
1: Um, so what I was going to say was interesting to see from our perspective was that uh, a number of co- companies who are already listed looking to be dual listed, and that may be a sort of precursor to moving jurisdiction of listing, um, wh- which may be, I mean, you know, could be for many, many different reasons, um, but but that is also an interesting trend to see because obviously, Depending on the sort of local market and the coverage for their stock, that 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 appetite will differ, and and so that is something we as a firm have been helping a number of our clients with. Um, I, I would say also a lot will come down to cost and general compliance. Obviously, the sort of disclosure requirements vary from the different stock exchanges, and and that can be quite onerous for shipping companies with the nature of their business and and the way they operate across different jurisdictions carrying different um produce etc so so that can be quite challenging for a company and and the the, the sort of repercussions of getting it wrong can obviously be quite uh, severe
4: right well thank you very much kavita and uh, thank you dag finn and thank you andreas that was um... A great discussion, so looking forward to that going out to our listeners.
2: And that is where we are going to leave it for this special edition. My thanks to and Andreas and Kavita for giving up their time. Thanks to Dave for chairing the discussion. Thank you again to Warana for sponsoring and thank you for listening. I'm going to leave you with this thought from the late American journalist Hunter S. Thompson, one of Dave's heroes, obviously, who described the music business as a cruel and shallow who described the music business as a cruel and shallow money trench, a long plastic hallway where thieves and pimps run free and good men die like dogs. There's also a negative side. Thank goodness the shipping industry isn't like that at all, in any way.